Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. I am here with our amazing co-host, Valerie. Valerie, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. I am just roasting in my office. I don't know if anyone's watching on YouTube, but it is summertime as we're recording, and I have started turning red. I don't know what this new thing is that I do where I get hot and I just turn red, and it's, that's what summer does to me. I don't, I need to move somewhere cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Like Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only place that came to mind. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. Although I have friends who are in uh, Bend right now and they're in like sweaters, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. The world is upside down. Uh, Yeah, enough about the weather though. How are you? (laughs) I am good. I'm good. I am drinking some Lambrusco. If there are any people over the age of 21, I'm now obsessed with Lambrusco. I didn't know what it was. It is a red sparkling wine that is chilled. It's amazing. It seems like a not a real thing. That's a, is it is it good is it like good do wine people like it or is it like a not a wine that is real? <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. Okay, well that's all that matters. You're the one drinking it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think you should try it. I'm telling you, I think it's good. I mean, I'll okay. let you know like offline if I think wine snobs like it. I'm not sure, but I'll google it and let you know. So. Okay. Okay. Well, thank yeah. you. I would have a glass. I actually was eating a piece of celery today and don't ask me how, stabbed myself in the mouth with celery and have like a big fat lip on the inside. I don't know what oh. it's called. My, I'm like a, I don't know if anyone else is like this. My mouth is like a battle zone. I don't know if I just eat sloppy. I don't know. I constantly have problems in my mouth. Luckily, no canker sores. I'm pretty sure when we started recording this season, I had a like a terrible canker sore and I lisped for like four or five episodes as it was healing. Yep. Yep. And then you gave it to me. I was convinced, you know, over over the internet. But oh. then I got one the next episode. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Make sure you make it clear it was over the internet because first of all, canker sores are not contagious. And second of all, we're not making out even if they were. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is not that kind of episode. <laughs> You say snogging, is that what it is? It's not snogging because they're in the British world. Oh my gosh, must be the Lambrusco. All right, well. Anyways. Yeah, see, I'm not even (laughs) drinking it. I'm just being silly over here. Uh, Well, if this is your first time listening to us, we are reading the Harry Potter series backwards. So we have started with the seventh book, and that was last season, season one. You should go back if you haven't been there. And starting all the way at the back of the book and then going forward, we are now reading Half-Blood Prince, and we are in the middle. So again, if you have listened to season one, then you haven't listened to season two, we recommend that you go back all the way to the beginning of season two or all the way back to season one, because it will just make way more sense. Because honestly, we're really smart. And we thought of some fun points that we point out throughout the entire series. And we don't want you to miss it. We want you to have all of the experience. I feel like there's some characters in these books who have a big ego. And one of them is Dumbledore, as an aside, and he'll be like, forgive me, I am really intelligent, but here's the really intelligent (laughs) thing I have to say. And I love that, because it's like, we should just be like, if I'm smart, I shouldn't have to apologize or dumb myself down. But uh, yeah, we do reference back and forth. That's the key here. We do reference past past chapters, past episodes, 
And so it will just make more sense if you are if you've heard them. Otherwise, you're gonna be like, what are they talking about? Why are they referring to pants? Uh, what's the funny joke <laughs> about pants? See, that's one of the ones that I'm really bummed that did not do as well on social media as I thought it would. And I made yeah. a very good cover image for that reel. If you haven't <laughs> seen it, you should go check us out on Instagram at Beljarpod because I had to get very creative to make sure that we weren't going to get flagged by any of the indecency filters when talking about flaming pants on Instagram. <laughs> So to support Valerie, you should go to Instagram, find the reel, and just share it. We can make it go viral, you know, even later. And that's that's the magic of reels. They can go viral at any time. Mm-hmm. That is the magic of reels. That yeah. is true. That is true. Okay, so today we're covering chapter 11. Mm-hmm. This is episode 20. Um, as I said, you know, Bree's covered. We're moving backward. So the chapters are going down in number as the episode numbers are going up. This is Hermione's helping hand. And as usual, we're going to start off with a synopsis of the chapter from Bree. All right. At Hogwarts, the six years are hard at work, learning that even in their free time, they are struggling to keep up with all the homework. Harry is hosting Quidditch tryouts, and it is a large turnout, including at least 10 girls who merely giggled the entire time, a few Hufflepuffs, and even some Ravenclaws, which according to Hermione is due to Harry's popularity because he is the chosen one. The tryouts- say fancy ability. <laughs> okay, fancy ability. It's such an unusual word. <laughs> The tryouts ended with both Ginny and Ron making it onto the team. Imagine that. No nepotism there. Uh, (laughs) After tryouts, they head to Hagrid's hut to try and smooth things over with him, as he had been ignoring them since the beginning of school when they did not sign up for his class. So rude. Hagrid ends up breaking down and letting them know he's really upset because Aragog is dying. Once back at the castle, Slughorn corners Harry and invites him to one of his exclusive parties, insisting that he can get him out of detention with Snape. Which does not happen because in the final sentence, which I'm about to read, you will learn that Snape always gets his detention. So here we go. It's not the final sentence again. Lately, the final sentences have required a little bit of extra context. So here we go. Harry, said the new chaser Demelza Robbins, appearing suddenly at his shoulder, I've got a message for you. From Professor Slughorn, asked Harry, sitting up hopefully. No, from Professor Snape, said Demelza. Harry's heart sank. He said you're to come to his office at half past eight tonight to do your detention, er, no matter how many party invitations you've received, and he wanted you to know that you'll be sorting out rotten flobber worms from good ones to use in potions, and he says there's no need to bring protective gloves. Right, said Harry, grimly. Thanks a lot, Demelza. <laughs> yeah. So I had to read a lot to make, but then none of that would have made sense if I hadn't started way several pieces of dialogue earlier. (laughs) It's true. Now you had to read all of that. (laughs) Poor Harry. You know Snape was like, oh, let us not. Trying to get out of detention to go to a party and getting a professor to do it for him. He must think he's Mm -hmm. so special. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it being, you could just imagine Slughorn, like, good-naturedly going to Snape and Snape, you know, like they're very different temperaments as professors and people. And so Slughorn being like, Harry's wonderful. Why can't he have a, come on, Severus, just be kind. You know, this might, I'm putting on a good Slughorn here. You really were. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. And Snape just being like, no, (laughs) like, no, like I'm not even entertaining this. This is not a discussion. He's showing up to my detention and I'm going to make this new student who Harry's never really met before be the bearer of bad news. I kind of read that quote and she's like, it's like going to the boss and telling the boss that something bad is happening and he has to deal with it. It's like, I don't really want to tell you this, but I I was told I have to. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, those were very good impressions of both. I feel like that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. I love imagining the scenes off page. Like those are the ones that are fun now that we move. We're moving so much more. When I read these books, by the way, we've never talked about it. I could read these books in a couple days and we're doing it day by day for 30 days, which is just way slower than I would ever go. And it means I pick up a lot more than I ever would. Mm-hmm. And then I think about it way more than because each chapter, I think about mm-hmm. it way more because I just want to keep reading it and I can't. So I have to obsess over the details. Right, right. We can't, well, one, we're reading backward, and two, we can't get ahead of ourselves and when we're planning to record, because then you don't remember anything. Also true. So what did you pick up? The first thing that I had, this is a chapter I did not have a lot of notes in, and for some reason, my book is really bugging me today. It's like I did something to the spine, and it doesn't want to stay open. Anyway, this chapter has a lot of Ron and Hermione tension in it, which is not something I remembered. So it starts out pretty early on the way to Quidditch Trials where Lavender reveals her crush on Ron. That's how I read it anyway, when uh, she gives him a wide smile. And this is October. So this is quite a few weeks before they actually end up getting together. And then they end up staying together for quite a few weeks after they wish they weren't together anymore. And then that makes Hermione kind of sullen. And then at the end of Quidditch Trials, Hermione congratulates Ron. What? Hold on. You're skipping the first tension was when Ron is jealous of Hermione because Hermione is trying to make fun of slash hype up Harry talking about how everyone wants to date him and all the girls like him. Oh, yeah. And that he's gotten, he's really tall and handsome and Ron's a little, he's like, I'm tall. Yeah. Well, I have a scar from the brain eating me. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. That is very true. I feel like there's a lot of, you could read this whole book from the perspective of Ron, which is very different than Mm -hmm. how Harry experiences this year. I'm sorry, I had to interrupt you. So that's the first one. And then... It's okay. I don't see. I don't. I guess I don't really see that one because I. 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 I guess it's not true. But like in my head, I just know that Hermione's not interested in Harry, so it doesn't feel like it necessarily has the same tension as when Lavender enters the scene. Uh, but you're. But Ron thinks that Hermione's into Harry. That's part of why he leaves them in Deathly Hollows. So. Yeah, I can see now that you point that out. That so yeah, but it, like the whole chapter is like that, just going back and forth of, of Ron and his all his his emotions. Like Ron is actually leading the way in this whole dating thing that they're entering at 16 years old. It made me think back to being 16. And when you have a crush on someone, it's like, I don't know how old you were when you started dating, but I really didn't start dating until I was about 16. And so it was like, not really knowing how to talk to each other. And then you're like, you know, something's there. Like it takes Ron and Lavender weeks, (laughs) weeks to get together. And that is a very 16 year old thing. Like as you get older, you're just like, I'm going to communicate what I need. And if that works or if it doesn't, um, yeah, I just found that that was a really interesting piece of this chapter that might not seem important, but obviously is important for these characters because it's revealing Ron is increasingly aware of being an adolescent boy and that there are girls around him. And that's pretty important when he's one of his best friends is a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did notice a lot of that, a lot of that tension as well. That's really funny. I feel like a lot of people are going to be, li- maybe not though, maybe like all us Harry Potter nerds, like we're all just like a little bit more of late bloomers, you know, like we all started dating at like 16. Mm. <laughs> where most of my friends were like 14 so yeah I feel like I was I was pretty late but I'm like I wasn't that late because the kids in the book that I loved were at the same age when they started dating I mean I guess technically in is it last book moving chronologically order of the phoenix that Cho and Harry are dating but you know that's still it's the 15 it's not that not that young or that old. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what did you get from this chapter? Sure. So a couple things. The first thing I will note, though, because you're talking about relationships, is it's fun to watch Harry slowly watch Jenny. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment in the chapter whenever Jenny is playing with uh, the pygmies, and he's just just casually watching her. 
and waiting for, I think, Hermione to say something. And he's just off, like, kind of daydreaming about her. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the previous chapter, there was another moment whenever Harry wanted her to go to Hogsmeade with him. She was going with Dean. Mm -hmm. And then he, like, kind of thought, he just had, like, a couple thoughts. He was just like, she was supposed to meet up with me, and she never did. Oh, that's a bummer. You know, like, slowly start to realize that he likes her, but just, like, He's, he's a little slow, a little slow on the yeah. dating stuff. So, Yeah, it takes him a while to tune into it in this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you said Ginny, and actually the next note that I have mentions Ginny, but it was something I wanted to bring up last episode. I kind of alluded to it, is this whole experience that Ron is having in this book. It's not related to dating, but it is about being left out of Slughorn's club. And how that, I was thinking about it as I was reading, and I was like, Harry gets invited, Hermione gets invited, Ginny gets invited to these various events. It's like literally the opposite of what Ron sees in the Mirror of Error said. Ron wants to stand head and shoulders above his family, and Slughorn manages to do literally the opposite by inviting everyone around him to these events and ignoring him. And I really find that interesting that Slughorn wouldn't have the insight to realize that if Harry and Hermione are significant witches and wizards and Ginny is too that Ron wouldn't be like I would be looking at the students who are seemingly important in the system that they're in and being like is there anyone I'm missing not just like do they have an important family uh and I think that Slughorn sort of misses out by ignoring Ron because when Ron's on forum in anything he's awesome right like in Quidditch or in life but when he's neglected he's, he's a drag on the whole system Right, but to a professor, I could see how, like, Hermione's obviously very bright. She makes great grades. She's a valedictorian, assumingly. You know, obviously, I don't think they have that, but they have probably something similar. And Harry is, you know, the chosen one. Ginny is obviously a very bright witch, maybe the best in her class as far as maybe she's like Hermione in that way. And then also she's on the Quidditch team where Ron is, all in all, if you were just looking at him from the outside, kind of an average guy. Like, sure, he comes from a cool wizarding family. Um, He's a prefect, but... His grades are okay. He's on the Quidditch team like a couple other people. Like, what is he doing that is extraordinary? What makes him so special? I mean, to me, it would be he's friends with all of the most important people. <laughs> that has to mean something. Like, they don't, like, I would, most people who are important don't hang out with unimportant people. That's, to me, I would just be like, there's this third piece and this third person here, and he's related to this other really bright witch. I should maybe give him a try and invite him to dinner, you know? I don't know. To me, it, it, that's just the way I feel like that. Slughorn doesn't even give him a chance. He doesn't even look at him. And it's like, but if he's friends with the chosen one and friends with the smartest girl in the class, he's got to have something that they find worthwhile to have around. Like they wouldn't be spending time with him if he didn't have something. True. I mean, you're right. I just, I can also see how Slughorn would just be like, yeah, he's just normal. Yeah. Well, Slughorn's obviously self-absorbed and vain and (laughs) he's only collecting students that, that serve him really. Like he just wants to have people that serve him and he must not think Ron has any potential, which is his loss because Ron does fine. It's true. Yeah. What else did you have? One quick thing. I just, again, Harry and his relationships with men. He is sad that Lupin doesn't write to Harry um, like Sirius did. And I just, you know, Lupin is more and more a, um, I always really liked Lupin, but I'm seeing him more and more as a sad, just a very, very sad character because of, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, he is sad that he's a werewolf and he's sad. He doesn't feel good enough. And he even obviously doesn't feel good enough to be a father figure to Harry because he's so absorbed in his own drama that he can't think like, I should I should write him. I should reach out to this kid that could use a father figure. And he just lost Sirius. He lost his dad. And his dad was one of my best friends. He was my best friend. I should do this thing. And he 
still does not feel good enough. And I just, I hate that for Harry that even the last remaining, you know, mortar, like he just, he, he doesn't, he doesn't make it. He doesn't really make the effort that he should in the ways that he should. And that just, man, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It really does for Harry that he doesn't have anybody who steps up to fill that role when Sirius dies. And that's, I mean, that's some way in service of the narrative that Harry mm -hmm. realizes he has to stand alone, but also, you know, it, it does make him very emotionally vulnerable because he doesn't have really anyone he can talk to, especially I would say, I mean, he, you know, we talked about it in the chapter where they're at the borough, which I think was like episode 15 or something, how Harry finally gets to the borough for Christmas and immediately confides in Lupin and Mr. Weasley. Like, he, he's been needing someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. And that's a, like one of the first things he does when they have a moment of privacy is he tries to talk to somebody other because it seems like everyone else is not hearing him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, also, why didn't Mr. Weasley reach out? You know what I mean? He's kind of a, he's a very smart doofus. But he's a little bit mm -hmm. of a, he's a little aloof, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or Mrs. Weasley, yeah. Yeah. I wonder though, I feel like all of this is sort of giving us the foundation of what Lupin says in Deathly Hollows when he says to Harry through the wireless, I would tell Harry that his instincts are good and almost always right. This is all that foundational stuff where everyone's kind of ignoring Harry and he's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. And nobody cares or they disregard him. And then it turns out he's right over and over, including in, in some ways about Snape. Like through most of the seventh book, they don't, I mean, even Harry doesn't know that Snape is was a good guy posing as a bad guy. So when all this time Harry's been saying that Snape is a bad guy, and nobody's been listening to him. And then he kills Dumbledore. And everybody's like, Harry does actually pick up on a lot of stuff. He's not just prejudiced. And so I think that maybe that's what that is with Lupin, especially is that he sort of, Lupin can look back with insight and say, no, Harry's actually a really smart wizard. And I need to remind him of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's true. So one last thing. And I, I'm struggling because you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but every, especially at our age, like we just didn't have that many um, female heroes, you know, we are, we are getting more and more, which is fantastic. Still not enough, but obviously Hermione, you know, you've said it before. She's a badass. However, this book, I forgot. She's kind of annoying this book and I don't like it because she's such a rule follower, but here she is. She confounded McLadden. She's such a rule follower and she's just like, whatever, no big deal. And like, Props to Harry for not giving her a hard time because he could have, because he breaks one little rule and Hermione like is mm -hmm. all over him. Like, mm -hmm. what do you think about that? Her just like confounding him. Like, what? Yeah, I want Harry. I mean, the problem is we're, we're moving backward, right? So like we see the chessboard from further out, but I want Harry to be like, I'm not going to say I told you so, which was Hermione's line <laughs> when it turned out that Sectumsempra was a terrible spell. It's like... Hermione only breaks the rules. I, I mean, I almost wonder what her motivation is. Like, is it just she knows? Well, she says it. She says McClagging was going to be a terrible teammate. And he, you should have heard what he was saying. And he was he was not. But it's like, is that is that it? Is she also just not want to have Ron be complaining about how he didn't make the team? You know, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I did think about that. She's probably like, I can't. I can't handle him yeah. complaining the whole time and yeah. whining. Like, yeah. or like, does love make you do crazy things and break rules that you normally wouldn't break and do yeah. things you would not do? That she loves him so much. Right. The question is, yeah, who does she break the rule for? Is she breaking the rule for Harry? Is she breaking the rule for Ron? Is it a bit of both? Probably a bit of both. For herself? So she'd have to hear him? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Any, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Hermione is, it's, it's a weird thing to me that she is so averse to the, the prince because... 
that's sort of the the like the theme throughout the book is that she does not like the half blood prince and the and any of the contents of the book. But I would I don't know. To me, I would think about how innovation comes from people breaking rules generally or doing something that's never been done before. That's that's what innovation is defined as. So. How does she think that magic gets better or people have better li- like better lives using magic if they never experiment or explore with it? And if she had found the book, would she have turned it in? Would it made her an even better? Would it, would it, or would she have viewed it as an educational resource? Because it really is. It's just teaching Harry and it's making him really good at something he wasn't good at. Wouldn't that be something that Hermione would think is a good thing? I feel like you're so right that she'd be like, this is an educational resource. (laughs) Right. How different would it have been like if Hermione had gotten it or if Harry had gotten it or if Ron had gotten it? Because it was just one book and only one of them could ever really be using it. So it would be very different if Ron had gotten it because Ron's suddenly the best of potions. Then he'd be invited to Slughorn's parties. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He would be very happy and be a whole different book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it would be a totally different book. Would have started dating Lavender right away. Would have had the confidence to break up with her quickly. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that would be a totally different <laughs> Love it. Okay, I have one last really yeah. short thing. Uh, and then we can wrap it up. The, I just noticed this actually as I was preparing to read the final sentence. That in the synopsis of the story about Arthur Weasley raiding the Malfoy's home. Looking for dark objects because Harry has tipped him off. The sentence reads... The second search of the Death Eater's residence does not seem to have yielded any results. Okay, that's the government formal newspaper acknowledging that the Malfoys are Death Eaters. Like, they're literally saying the Malfoys are Death Eaters. Why is not, why are they not being surveilled? You know, like, if you know, the police do this, in America anyway, I shouldn't assume that everyone listening is, if they assume that you're doing a a drug deal or something, they'll surveil you if they think a crime's going to happen. So... Wouldn't there be some sort of intervention if you're acknowledging on a global scale that these people are on the enemy's side? I guess we can, I guess, answer the question if somebody was found to be a member of the KKK or a Nazi, what steps would they take? Like They get surveilled. The FBI watches them in America. Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly what happens. I, I mean, that's sort of a theme that, you know, we've talked about how the, the Death Eaters are like one of those nationalist racist parties and i mean and we're american right so the the book was written from a different geopolitical perspective because britain just operates differently about that but also i don't know when you put it in newspaper i would think that the government would be like hmm well we've been arresting a bunch of people who don't actually turn out to be death eaters but we're acknowledging these people are death eaters in the national paper maybe we should keep an eye on that yeah you're right the ministry is the worst honestly i don't know (laughs) True, true. That's what, that's what Harry should have said when uh, Scrimger comes to him at Christmas and is like, come work with the ministry. And he'd be like, release Stan Shunpike and arrest Lucius Malfoy. Right. Like, you know one is not a Death Eater and you know the other one is and you're not doing either of the things you should be doing. So, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, but he's not going to do that. Uh, so, cool. Yeah. Anyway, my point, where, my point there was that, like, they put it in writing. They put it in the newspaper and still it's not enough to motivate the ministry to do anything about it, which just... I can, Harry would be infuriated and I am infuriated on his behalf. Well, that's all I had in this one. Yeah, me too. Amazing. Well, thank you all for joining us. This was a fun one. If you enjoyed yourself, then please head over to your podcast player of choice. Uh, Give us a five-star rating and then a review. We love those reviews. We love to see them. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you guys like and what you don't like. Just talked to a couple friends. They are liking the short form. I want to know if you're liking the short form. Valerie wants to know. 
do you like these 15, 20 minutes? Please let us know. It helps us uh, so that we can prepare for next season. So if you like it, give us a review, a rating. You can also head to social media. Uh, Valerie is much more involved this season with social media, and it is flourishing. So, you know, proof is in the pudding. I think we have like 11 more followers. <laughs> okay, but our reels are doing well, and I feel like our listens are going up too. And I feel like that has to do with Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, they can reach us. Uh, at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We are on all three. Uh, you can also email us. Uh, Valerie has an amazing website, followthebutterflies.com. It is a Harry Potter website dedicated to all things Harry Potter. Whether you want to have a Harry Potter costume, a Harry Potter party, how many P's can I say? <laughs> um, yes, any type of Harry Potter thing you want, it is there. It is an incredible website, incredible resource. But Email us, podcast at followthebutterflies.com if you want to chat with us or you have anything to say that you don't feel like saying on a public forum. Yep. And you should definitely leave us a rating and review. Oh, well, subscribe first if you're not subscribed. If you're brand new to the podcast, mm -hmm. please subscribe. Mm -hmm. And then leave us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. I was recently digging into the analytics. It seems like most of you are listening on Apple Podcasts, so that is pretty easy to do. If you go to mm -hmm. our podcast page, you scroll to the bottom, just hit the star whatever stars you think we've earned. And that's it. That's all you have to do to leave a rating. And uh, if you want to leave a review, you can then type something in. But literally, it's like one click on the number of stars you think we've earned, and we get to see that. So we always appreciate that feedback. Yeah, very much so. Well, cool. Well, uh, we will be back tomorrow. Or if you are ahead of time, then there's one, just another episode waiting on you. So keep going. And we'll be with you shortly. Yep, we'll see you next episode. The Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.